Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture on this National Farmers Day. Thank you for joining us. We'll be talking with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, today, talking about uh, the uh, big step taken in the last few days by the administration to lift the summer ban on E15. Still a long ways to go, but a big step has been taken. We'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about yesterday's USDA numbers with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with INTL FC Stone. But right now, we're going to talk more about trade and the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal, USMCA, and especially what's in it for dairy. Let's talk with the former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Good to talk with you again, sir. What is your uh, reaction to USMCA? Well, first of all, Mike, let me uh, certainly congratulate all the farmers who are listening today for the tremendous benefits that they provide to every single American every single day. It's appropriate for, that we celebrate National Farmers Day today and uh, just wanted to make sure that they knew how appreciative I am for their service and their help. Uh, look, a uh, lot of good benefits coming out of USMCA. Uh, first and foremost, we now know that we're going to have a trilateral agreement, assuming Congress ratifies this. Uh, this should free up time for USTR to focus on resolving issues with China and potentially entering into bilateral discussions with a number of other countries for free trade agreements. Uh, preserves our number one market for dairy products in Mexico. Now, it doesn't yet remove the U.S. steel and aluminum tariffs and the retaliatory tariffs that Mexico assessed, and so hopefully the administration will get to work in, in getting that issue resolved so we can uh, clear up this market uh, situation uh, down in Mexico. Uh, a little more ma- market access to Canada uh, for dairy, uh, probably not as much as we'd like, but more than we had, uh, which is a, a, a positive. And then, of course, the elimination of Class 7 and Class 6 pricing uh, replacing it with a new system. Uh, we'll see how that's implemented, but uh, certainly uh, a big step forward. From a dairy perspective, did you get more in this deal than you would have under TPP? Uh, with reference to market access, we did, uh, simply because we don't have to divide the market access that's being granted in this agreement with a number of other other nations as we would have under TPP. Uh, it's slightly higher as a percentage, uh, but at the end of the day, Mike, uh, we're going to have to see how this is all implemented. It's spread out over a period of, of time and spread out over a, a number of products, and we're going to have to see whether or not the market truly is more open than it has been. We know the Canadians from time to time uh, promise an open market to, and then figure out ways to make it more difficult. So the implementation of this is going to be really important, and the same thing is true with Class 7. The elimination of Class 7 replaces it with a system uh, in which the Canadians uh, can apply an applicable Canadian allowance. It's sort of like our make allowance. We want to make sure that that's, uh, that's a set number and, and it isn't something that gets manipulated from time to time to provide benefits uh, to the Canadian producers. Does the deal protect your number one market in Mexico? It does. Uh, it certainly it will, certainly once the retaliatory tariffs are lifted. Uh, it does, in fact, uh, maintain the duty-free terms of, of trade in dairy products, which was one of the major goals we had going into the uh, NAFTA discussions. Uh, and the administration deserves credit for, uh, for hanging tough on those issues and, and uh, for hanging tough on the Canadian issues as well. Um, and so we're excited about that. But we would really be a little bit more excited if we could see those tariffs lifted. I think it's, it's time to get that matter resolved between Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. so we truly have uh, an agreement that opens up markets and maintains markets. 
So even though you didn't get everything you would have liked to to have uh, received in this deal, will you support it? Will you push for its passage? Well, I, I think we're in, still in the process of evaluating all the terms and conditions. Uh, certainly, there there are a lot of benefits to this. Uh, you know, this is something that National Milk uh, and the folks at National Milk, Jim O'Hare and his crew, crew will take a look at. Uh, you know, we like the idea that uh, there's a new process system for uh, countries considering GIs. Uh, we certainly are appreciative of uh, the work in that area. Uh, that's a precedent setting. Uh, first time we've ever really received that kind of uh, attention to GI issues. So I think there's a lot to, to look for in this agreement. But again, I think we have to kind of look at the the, the T's and the dot the T's or cross the T's and dot the I's uh, to make sure that we know precisely how this is all going to work. Um, as I said before, uh, the elimination of Class 7, uh, there is this issue of the of the allowance, uh, the applicable allowance. We're not sure exactly how that's defined and whether or not that provides um, more flexibility that could potentially create problems in terms of uh, powder. Uh, so we're, we're, we're studying this, um, and I think we're going to wait and see uh, in terms of uh, the reaction, the questions that are raised by uh, by by commodity groups uh, to make sure that we fully appreciate and understand what this agreement contains. But uh, on the surface, uh, certainly uh, uh, benefits for dairy. We're talking with the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. All right, let's turn our attention to China. This looks like it's going to be a long-term issue, a long ways to go on this. Uh, What are your thoughts? What what are we seeing now as far as what we're able to sell to China as far as dairy? Uh, What is that market right now? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, this is, uh, you know, a troublesome issue for us because uh, we had momentum. We had record exports uh, to China. Uh, we were on track to, to shatter the records in terms of all uh, product lines. Uh, that has essentially stopped for all intents and purposes. Some of the value-added powders are still being sold, uh, but in a very limited way uh, because people are absorbing the tariffs for a period of time. But uh, this does look like it may be a long-standing uh, dispute and discussion between the two countries. Uh, and I think for the time being, uh, it's, it's likely that we're going to see significant uh, stoppage or, or halting of, of uh, trade on the dairy side in China. Now, fortunately, we are looking at other market opportunities that are still uh, expanding. Uh, we are still on pace for a record year for dairy exports, which is, uh, you know, some good news. I uh, realize that there are folks are struggling out there, but it would be a whole lot worse if we weren't setting a record in exports. So we're looking at Southeast Asia. We're looking at uh, the Middle East and North Africa. We're looking at continued uh, commitment to Mexico, Latin America, and even the Caribbean and South America. So there, there are still other options for us. Uh, but it sure would be great if we could somehow get this matter resolved in a way that's fair and balanced to, to both countries and allows us to have uh, that opportunity to market uh, into that very large market because there's tremendous growth potential there. And we hear this from other segments of agriculture, look for other markets to help make up for the loss of China if that's going to be the situation moving forward. But it takes a lot of those other markets to make up for the uh, a market the size of China if you lose that. Uh, it does. You know, we're we're a little bit different than soybeans. Uh, obviously, soybean, uh, the soybean relationship with China was very longstanding, uh, very deep, and, and very committed. Uh, we have just basically over the last several years gotten more engaged in the Chinese market. So uh, the ability of dairy to make adjustments, perhaps we have a bit more flexibility, just simply because there's just tremendous demand for what we have. We've got a safe, sustainably produced product that's incredibly nutritious, and the world knows it. Uh, and the world's interested in buying it. So, you know, we're fortunate, I think, in that respect. Uh, but we still want to get this thing resolved because this is a huge market opportunity, uh, and we were uh, virtually on a roll here uh, to, to sell a great deal of cheese 
powder ingredients uh, to the Chinese market. And, and at the end of the day, they're going to need uh, that, that from the U.S. Uh, dairy industry. So we obviously want to maintain our relationships. I've been to China three times this year, uh, to basically to send the message that we're interested in continuing to do business, continuing to look for creative ways to partner uh, with a Chinese university. We're working on a formulation of a, a noodle product that could potentially use dairy, um, all of which I think sends a strong message that we're, we're in this for the long haul. And as soon as our governments get these things worked out, we'll be prepared to fully engage in that market again. Very good, Mr. Secretary. Good to talk with you again. See you later this month right. in Arizona for the National Dairy Meeting. Looking forward to it, Mike. Take care. See you then. Thanks. Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. The new President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, joins us next to talk about E15. Stay with us. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. On road or off road, you'll find the FS lubricant you need from our full line of premium quality products. At FS, our lubricants use the highest quality base oils and latest additive technology to meet and exceed most manufacturer specifications. Advanced protection against wear ensures you'll get maximum value from both your lubricant and equipment investments. Squeeze every bit of performance out of every piece of equipment you own. Let the FS energy specialists help you go further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back on this National Farmers Day as we salute and thank our nation's farmers for all they do. And uh, we appreciate it very much. And we don't say thank you near enough, but we do on this National Farmers Day. Well, we know a lot of uh, farmers are struggling with harvest uh, as wet weather Cold weather, snowy weather has hit uh, many uh, areas trying to get harvest done, and uh, looks like it's going to be a long harvest for some of those farmers as they wait for the weather to cooperate. And again, our thoughts and prayers with all the folks that are impacted by Hurricane Michael. Well, this uh, has been a big week uh, to talk about E15 with the president's announcement that he's uh, starting the process to lift the summer ban on E15. Let's talk about it with the new president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Um, Big event, a lot of excitement, but it's just the first step. I mean, there's a long ways to go. We don't have the ban lifted yet, right? That's right, and and I you know want to make sure people understand that uh, the announcement that came on Tuesday was was simply an announcement to get the process started, and 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 it was really direction to EPA to begin the rulemaking process that would allow year-round E15. Uh, that rulemaking process typically takes six to nine months, and so we need to see something very soon uh, from EPA in the form of a proposed rule in order for that whole process to be done in time for this to impact next summer. You know, it's, it's our hope and our expectation that uh, by May 2019, this will all be done, the ink will be dry, and we'll have this behind us as we go into the summer driving season, and, and retailers should uh, be able to sell E15 year-round next year. Yep, there's a lot to do between now and then, but hopefully it'll all come together. Now, the big question has been, and the, the hope was that, you know, the lifting of the ban would meet, that would send the signal to retailers to uh, go ahead and make the move to to offer E15. We've already seen that announcement from Casey's, and that's a big step. Do you think there's enough of a signal, even though we're waiting to, for the ban to actually be lifted, does the announcement alone that the process has started, Jeff, you think send enough of a signal for other retailers to join in? Well, I do think it sends a signal, and, and you're right that uh, just yesterday we saw an announcement from Casey's um, that they are intending to uh, put E15 in at, at a good number of their stations. Eventually reaching 500 of their stations would be offering E15. Uh, if they get to that point, that would make them the largest E15 re- retailer in the nation. Um, so, you know, certainly that announcement was was prompted by what we heard from President Trump on, on Tuesday. Uh, we have heard over and over, Mike, from retailers, uh, you know, when we ask them, why aren't you offering E15? It's 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 cheaper, it's cleaner, it's, you know, consumers are, are, are responding well to it. Uh, their, their reaction typically is, well, if I can't sell it year-round, I'm not going to, you know, mess with it. So I do think that this is the single largest barrier that has been keeping E15 out of the marketplace more broadly. And, and it is a signal. It's a positive signal. Uh, but we also know that retailers are going to be watching very closely the progress of this rulemaking and, and making sure that it gets done in time for next summer. 
A lot of misinformation out there, as always, when it comes to ethanol. And let's just let's just get this out there again. I want to keep repeating this so people understand. One, if you have a 2001 model vehicle or newer, you're okay to run E15. It's not going to hurt your car. And uh, two, this is not a mandate to E15. It opens a door to have that option so people can choose E15 if they so choose. That's absolutely right, Mike, and, and we hear all sorts of myths and misinformation from the, the boating associations and the small engine guys, uh, you know, and all these doomsday predictions that E10 is going to be, go away, and and it's just nonsense. This is not a mandate or a requirement for anyone to sell or consume E15. It is simply opening the door to allowing retailers to choose uh, to sell E15 and allowing consumers to choose to buy E15 if they want to. Uh, if, if uh, you know, boaters and, and that crowd or, or even people who, who drive older automobiles, if they want to continue to buy E0 uh, for a dollar a gallon or 60 cents a gallon more than E10, um, that's their prerogative, and that product will remain available in the marketplace. Uh, as you mentioned, E15 is legally approved uh, by the Environmental Protection Agency for all vehicles built in 2001 or later, and today that's about 92-93% of the cars and pickups on the road. And there's actually some research that shows, you know, E15 probably wouldn't have any negative impacts on vehicles older than that, um, but that's just the, the, the kind of the breakdown or the breaking point that, that EPA used was that 2001 model year. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So, Jeff, now this gets a little more complicated. Then why was there a ban or why is there a ban in place for the summer months for E15? Yeah. Well, and that's the other big myth we're hearing as you read all the coverage of this. And they say, you know, a lot of misinformed reporters are saying, well, the ban was in place because E15 is, is contributes to smog and, and there are smog concerns. That's nonsense. Uh, E15 is actually uh, better than E10, uh, today's standard gasoline, when it comes to ozone-forming potential. We see about a 10 to 30% reduction in ozone-forming potential when we go from E10 to E15. So the real reason that this product has been held out of the marketplace and then the real reason that you haven't been able to sell it in the summertime uh, in most of the country is it's just a remnant and kind of a relic of a 30-year-old regulation. When, when EPA uh, established the rules for volatility uh, for gasoline, uh, they only looked at E10, and that's because they never contemplated 30 years ago that E15 would be prevalent in, in the marketplace. And so this is simply a, a, a matter of E15 was just left out of those initial regulations, and we've been you know, working for the last five to seven years to get uh, get that fixed and get E15 included and treated the same way that uh, those regulations treat E10. All right, so there's this debate out there of just how much of an impact having uh, summer sales of E15 will actually have on uh, the ethanol industry and the, the market impact of Well, you know, again, I, I think the... Uh, what we're seeing today is this is a signal. This is a positive signal to the marketplace. We think it's going to shake loose some investment uh, in the retail sector that's been kind of standing on the sidelines waiting on some resolution. Uh, in terms of, of immediate impacts, it, it's probably not going to be um, significant. I mean, we're, we're not going to be uh, grinding another four or 500 million bushels of corn, and we're not going to be producing another 
uh, you know, billion or two billion gallons of ethanol to to meet E15 demand in the short term. Uh, but it is a longer term opportunity. And if you look at how E10 rolled out uh, across the nation, it, it took a couple decades. Uh, but you get to a tipping point, and, and then it, you know, it, it, things start moving pretty fast. Uh, we're not there yet with E15, but I think this decision, this announcement, uh, you know, begins to to pave the path uh, to where E15 does replace E10 nationwide. Um, that isn't going to happen next year. It's not going to happen two years from now. Uh, but you know, five, seven, ten years from now, we expect that E15 will be the standard fuel. Okay, the attention is on E15, so there's not been as much talk about the small refinery exemptions, those waivers. Those are still a big issue, right? Uh, are we getting any signal or any indication from uh, EPA on any change of policy there? They absolutely are a big issue, Mike, and, and you're right that uh, in terms of immediate impacts on the marketplace and immediate impacts on demand for both ethanol and corn, uh, restoring those lost volumes would be more impactful. And we, we do continue to work very hard uh, with EPA and the administration to, to make sure they understand the impacts of those decisions that were made by Administrator Pruitt, former Administrator Pruitt, uh, to let, you know, nearly 50 refiners out of their compliance obligations. Um, we are pursuing a, a remedy for those decisions in the courts. We have, we're in, involved in three lawsuits on the small refiner exemptions that, that would where we're attempting to get EPA to, to do the right thing and restore those volumes. Um, and we, you know, we're, we're keeping after that one. We're certainly not uh, moving that to the back burner uh, just because of this announcement this week. Um, it remains a very important issue for us. So, what you know, some things change, some things don't. We're still waiting on some action from EPA on both fronts. We need to get this rulemaking process going to change E15 sales, and we need a change in those waiver policies, right? That's absolutely right, and EPA will be publishing the, the final 2019 RFS requirements uh, by the end of November, and that would be their opportunity uh, to include some uh, reallocation of these exempted volumes where they have let small refiners out of their their obligations. So uh, we think uh, that's going to be a, a real uh, telltale sign of, of what EPA and the administration plans to do here, and we'll be watching that final rule very, very closely. Yep. All eyes still on EPA. Good to talk with you, Jeff. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. A lot of numbers out from USDA yesterday. We'll go through them with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector on this Friday, we see positive signs. Wheat futures rallying seven to eight cents higher in Chicago and Kansas City, two to four and a half higher in Minneapolis spring wheat, an hour into the trading day. Around a nickel better in soybeans, penny higher in corn. Export sales numbers from USDA Friday morning. Soybean shipments said to be down 25% versus a year ago. Wheat shipments down 28%. USDA said on Thursday that corn production for the 2018-19 season forecast at 14.78 billion bushels. That was a little bit lower than what some were looking for. U.S. soybean production in 2018-19 projected at 4.69 billion bushels. That was down 3.5 million bushels from last month. USDA lowered harvested soybean acres to 88.3 million, down 600,000 from the September report. November soybeans closed firmer yesterday, and we are firm on a Friday. We are within the recent ranges, however. 10-day moving average seen at 860, major resistance 874 and three quarters on November. If the corn bulls can support a sustained close above right around 369 to 374, that could open up the door to more advances. We're hovering around 370 a bushel an hour into the trading day. For livestock at American Live Cattle Futures, we're trending 30 to 50 cents lower. Feeder cattle 80 to $1.20 lower. Cash cattle trade seen yesterday on a live basis at 111, steady with the prior week. Lean hog futures, 20 cents to $1.95 higher. Outside markets, the Dow up 244 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day, because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. A lot of numbers from USDA yesterday. I want to go through them with the chief commodities economist for INTLFC Stone, Arlen Suderman. And Arlen, as you and I talked a little bit about yesterday, when you look at any USDA report, and this one is a prime example, uh, 
you know, you, you have big headlines, but when you really look at it, you see the shell game, so, so to speak, the pieces that USDA always moves around. You take something from this category, add to this category. In this column, you put something, you move something else somewhere else. So you, you kind of have to look at the, the whole report, the big picture, don't you? You really do. Now, I'm one from, you know, we've talked before that I see some brighter days ahead for corn long term, looking out the next year or two. Um, but when I look at this balance sheet, and I, it looks a lot like USDA was trying to solve for a 1.8 billion bushel corn carryout. I think their demand estimates are suspect. Can't argue with their with their yield estimate. Uh, it's below ours, but it is what it is. They've got a lot of sampling out there. Uh, and, and it's amazing now the markets trade off of one bushel one way or the other. That's a half percent difference, um, maybe a bushel either way, and uh, that's within well within the range of statistical error. On the soybean side, though, I think the big picture is, and we saw quite a bounce yesterday, and we're seeing a follow-through bounce today. The bottom line is, if we got a trade deal with China, that might make 250 million bushels worth of demand news if that deal would come soon. On the other hand, you look at how production and demand have been trending higher over the last five years. Production is has grown by more than 540 million bushels faster than what demand has. That demand was shifting south of the equator even before this trade war. So we were headed for problems anyway. And that's one of the macro pictures that I think is being missed, that the market needs to discourage soybean production while trying to stimulate some other forms of demand, uh, or we're simply producing too many soybeans here in the United States. Okay, let's look at production. Is there enough harvest done at this point that the markets aren't worried, given the weather problems in a lot of places where harvest is really just getting started, or in some cases hardly started at all, and already fears of yield being lost because of those weather problems? Is that enough to uh, get the market's attention or not? I think the next 10 days are going to be very critical. And, of course, the excessively wet conditions we've had in in the central and western part of the Midwest here over the last week to 10 days are the real concern. We've already seen pictures of pods splitting and spilling soybeans out on the ground, some sprouting. How widespread is it? It's not real widespread yet, but what will it become? When, it, when we warm up and dry out, that's when we're in danger of that happening. Uh, in a worst-case scenario, we could possibly lose, when you look at how much is harvested, how much is not harvested, where the rains fell, etc. a worst-case scenario, maybe lose 200 million bushels of soybeans. You put that together with an unexpected trade deal after the midterm elections with China, and suddenly you could draw stocks down from an 8 in the front to a 4 in the front, and we'd have something going. Is that likely to happen? That combination, probably not. It's possible. It's also possible we could have 10 inches of snow in Kansas City this weekend. We're expected to have some flurries, probably not 10 inches. But those are the possibilities that are out there. We're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Uh, I mean, it looks like we're headed towards more corn acres next year, right? And that's one of the things that this market does need to buy more corn acres, but the problems with soybeans make that a lot easier. We can get more corn acres simply by default as the market discourages soybean production here next year. 
Uh, it's not that we're running out of corn here in the United States, but the rest of the world outside of China and the United States is getting by on just-in-time supplies. China's reserves are still big, but they're half what they were a year ago, and they're declining fast. And we get a year down the road at this pace, and we're going to—they're going to need corn, which is why I expect once we do get a trade deal with China, corn will be in that. China is, is saw record soy meal prices this week because of tightening supplies. They've pulled back the amount of protein in their rations. That means increased corn usage may cut soybean demand by 10 million metric ton, but it means more corn usage to bring those hogs to market. So that is a developing story going forward. Um, but like you said, soybeans uh, being discouraged, that gives you more corn acres too. How do you look big picture at this China situation? I, I've been talking a lot about this lately, looking back at the Russian grain embargo all those many years ago and the impact of it still being felt today and how it kind of reshaped things globally. Could this situation with China have the same long-term impact? I think it's important to keep in mind that even before the trade war started in the spring, we go back to the fact that we ship most of our soybeans to China in the September-December time frame. So if we go back last year at this same time frame, September-December, we shipped 5 million metric tons fewer soybeans to China than the previous year, while Brazil shipped 6 million metric tons more to China than they had the previous year. That shift was already taking place. So while we can talk about all the reasons for that and everything, we thought, okay, we have a dependable market, but we really didn't have a dependable market there with China, and they were already shutting down imports of most every other commodity that uh, we'd had problems with there before. So I do think there are some dynamic shifts going, and this is indicative of the overall problems we see with trade with China, um, and we just hope that something gets fixed. I don't know if tariffs were the right way to do it or not, but something needed to change or we were going to face some significant problems. And right now we are seeing expanded production in, in Brazil and Argentina, partially because they have the price advantage because that's where China is coming in order to get their soybeans. And uh, if China also tries to go there for their corn as well, they'll see that premium in price. Now, part of it is because of their cheap currencies as well. That is starting to change in Brazil right now with the elections they have in a strengthening currency. I mean, is this a wake-up call? Is the lesson to learn here, if we didn't know it already, is not to be too reliant on one market. And uh, for soybeans, you know, China had be. We talk a lot about safety nets. China had become the safety net. Uh, I mean, is this kind of our uh, uh, wake-up call that hey, we need to make sure we have plenty of other markets around the world? Not that we weren't looking for them, and not that it doesn't take a lot of them to uh, match what the, the potential is of China. But you, you do run the fear, uh, the risk of putting all your eggs, so to speak, in one basket. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's you know you go for markets where they are, and China was the market, and we certainly have people in the trade looking for other markets, as you indicated. But it's a word of caution when on the farm you're expanding production based on one market, and kind of in a microcosm of that, we saw this a couple of years back with grain sorghum 
when China came in, was aggressively buying U.S. grain sorghum. Prices rose sharply. Basis was really strong. So farmers in the plains rapidly expanded grain sorghum production. And then all of a sudden, China shut it off. And all of a sudden, they are left with all this grain sorghum and no market. And we saw that repeated again earlier this year as well. Uh, and uh, when you make it, make decisions on your farm based on a simple single market, there's risk with that. So you need to make sure you're mitigating that risk with pricing strategies. So we've got a lot, a lot of crop uh, either that has been harvested, already put in the bin, or will, to be, will be harvested soon, hopefully. And a lot of that will go into the bin, and farmers will wait for a marketing opportunity. Uh, I mean, you mentioned a China deal would be a, certainly a big boost, a big marketing opportunity. Short of that, though, do you see one coming anytime soon? Well, the biggest opportunity we see short of China is just money flow and money coming back into the commodities. Uh, it, assuming we get back on a growth pattern, the economy is strong, and we had some panic this week. Um, but that's nothing to really count on giving you major gains or anything like that to bring us back above profitable levels. The high yields have helped the cash flow, help offset the low prices, even though they helped cause the low prices. So that's a that's a positive. But in the end, we need markets, and we need to create that demand, and we need to make sure that we have a, a wide variety of markets so we're not too, too dependent on any one market. And I think that's part of the lesson we've certainly learned from this. Yeah, and real quick, back to the report, the numbers yesterday, we were reminded we're not the only ones growing crops here. What, what's the global stock situation? Global stocks for corn outside the United States and China is about a 38-day supply. That's at or slightly below where we were at five or six years ago when we had record prices. So most of the supplies are in China and the United States. When we look at soybeans, uh, most of the supplies are in the United States because simply China is going everywhere else and picking up those supplies. But we're expanding production in Argentina and Brazil. And six months from now, we'll be looking at a much different picture with bigger supplies. Wheat is trending lower. We're certainly seeing tight wheat supplies starting to develop in among the major exporters. And the importers have bigger supplies this year, too, so they're not quite as hungry. But we are seeing things move in the right direction because we're kind of moving out of an era of favorable weather in most of the major producing areas into a kind of an era now where we're seeing more weather problems and that's starting to bring down those supplies all right arlen as always thanks for your perspective we appreciate it enjoyed it mike take care arlen suderman chief commodities economist for intl fc stone so we continue to talk a lot about china watch and wait to see what happens with talks with china see if we can get uh, something worked out on the trade front All right, coming up next, uh, some harvest is done, but there's still a lot yet to get done. But it's not too soon to be thinking ahead to 2019. And we're going to be doing that coming up on our next segment here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us on this National Farmers Day.
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs. Risk free, call 866 504 That's 866 504 I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk free today. 866 504 Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. 
It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. <laughs> they can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, 2018 has been another interesting year from a production standpoint certainly overall we're going to have big crops but uh, challenges in some states with uh, some very dry weather some areas had very wet weather and of course now challenges in getting uh, some of those crops out of the field so uh, still a lot to do here in 2018 but we want to take a moment to look ahead to 2019 because lessons learned this year certainly help in preparing for next year. Joining us now is Lynn Justison. Lynn is a technical sales specialist with Arista Life Science. Lynn, thanks for joining us, and it has been an interesting 2018, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, it certainly has, Mike. It, uh, um, you know, it, just as you mentioned, is it, you know, if you sneak back and you look in that rearview mirror where we've been so far in 2018, it's, uh, um, it's certainly been an interesting set of challenges, to say the least. When you talk with growers and look ahead, making plans for next year already, uh, what are the types of things you talk with them about? Uh, yeah, so there, there's, a, there's a lot of things, and I, I think one thing kind of, you know, there, there's really one thing that comes to mind, you know. How do we balance things in an ever-changing environment, right? So as you think about that environment and you think about what we saw in 2018, a quick look back, you know, as you said, there's places that were too dry, but as you look at it overall as a whole, they're talking about record yields in a large crop again uh, in, in corn. So as you look back and look at that, we had really good early growth in a, in a majority of places. We got stuff in on time. We saw tremendous emergence, and we had a really, really good initial growing season. And, and just to your point, unfortunately, now we're looking at some things that, that uh, uh, wet soils and wet conditions are going to make harvest uh, challenging at best. And but if you look at that and you look at what 17 and brought in, even 16, briefly, you can look back and see we've had tremendous yields, but each one of those years has been different, right? So as you think about that, you think about how do I balance things? How do I balance what I've seen in the past versus what I'm going to do in 19? I think you really got to start thinking your way through that and start thinking through, okay, how do I lay out that plan, you know? Uh, I don't think it's that dissimilar um, to figuring out how to balance that. I don't, I don't think it's that dissimilar to... Than, than what you do if you build a house or if you're building a new shop or if you're building a factory, right? As you think about that, you think about 19 and the way the way I think about it and, and the conversations I've had with growers are, okay, what are our key lessons learned? What things can we tweak and modify in our system or what are we going to do to start that? So as you think about that, if you're thinking about building something and getting ready to build out 2019, I think you always start with a foundation, right? 
And if you think about a factory and, and that corn plant or that soybean plant out in that environment is, is really just a factory, and you're thinking about building that out, what can I do to build that initial foundation and that initial steps to ensure that the next things we go to, you know, whether it's a, you know, we start thinking about architecture, we start thinking about creating the materials and the things we need to do in order to end up with that end production. What can we do to build a, one, put a foundation down and lay everything out. We get one shot at that foundation. And, you know, what are the little things we can do, tweak, improve in order to improve that foundation, uh, which really lays the groundwork for everything else we do within a season, Mike. Yeah, a lot of times when we look to the next year, we focus on, okay, are you going to, where are the acres going to go? It kind of, for many, is it a, do you cut back on soybeans, go to more corn, or vice versa? But there are a lot of other uh, decisions to be made as far as inputs and things like that. And sometimes uh, those decisions are greatly impacted by uh, the economy, the ag economy, which has we know been in a uh, you know a downside here for a few years, and that that can impact uh, some of those decisions. Oh, yeah, it definitely can. Um, and, and I think those decisions you make, I think, uh, I, again, a well-played plan where you start thinking about what's the foundation I lay? What am I going to do once I lay that foundation? What am I going to do to ensure that that, that, that that factory, if you will, that we're building out there, that we've got all the tools and implements in place to do optimized yield? Not necessarily maximum yield. Uh, maximum yields are fun to talk about, and it's fun to talk about 500-plus bushel corn. But I don't think those are things that are optimal for us. So what can we do and look at and modify our system going and looking forward into 19 to maximize our, our system? So can we lay that groundwork? Can we build a, build a better foundation and maybe improve our foundation over what we did in 18? How do we move that forward um, once we think about that next step? We start thinking about how do we build roots, branching? How are we doing to work with, with, the, with the stem and the stalks and those crops and making sure that we're building all those structures in place so that once we get that plant big enough, it starts photosynthesizing and we start gathering light. We're powering that plant now, right? And are there things we can do to unlock that and kind of maximize things we do within that photosynthesis? And all three of those early stages, the foundation, the putting the, the you know, the equipment in place and empowering that system all lead to the lead to production, right? And that leads to the production of the product or our reproductive phases in our crops. And once we have that, all those other things, we have to lay all that groundwork to make sure we do optimal things when we get into that reproduction stage. And, uh, and, you know, once we get there, then we're into sizing, and then, you know, that's our end game is our yield and our and our optimal yields at the back end of it. So those decisions, and some decisions can be tough. They may be looking for a short-term savings, but it could turn into a, a long-term loss if you're not careful. So you want to make sure you're, you're building for uh, – uh, yeah, you have to make decisions that help you right now to get by, but you have to also make those decisions that help you in the future. Oh yeah, for sure, and 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 it, and it certainly is a, it, it, you know a very very empathetic to the the, the situations we're in um, in the ag industry, right? It it is tough, and we do have to make some decisions that you know in a perfect world we we would make different decisions, but we don't. But again, I think if you take and and, and go through and. And, you know, now's even a great time as the guy's riding in a combine cab and he's, he's going through that. Take notes. Start trying to lay out things that make sure we cover the most important things. Um, whether corn is worth $3 a bushel or $7 a bushel, we still, the, still the, the whole end game is to maximize how many bushels we have. 
I mean, we have to maximize it. It may mean you invest differently, but picking those best investments as you move forward through a growing season um, and, and laying out the, the best, the very best plan you can and doing the best you can with the, what the, whatever the year throws you. Um, yep. Again, we can't, we, can't, uh, we can't make decisions on what might go wrong. We try and do things to ensure that we, we do everything we can to balance that environment and to create the best environment for that crop. That's Lynn Justison, Technical Sales Specialist with Arista Life Science. Lynn, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. T- take care, Lynn. And over the next few weeks, we're going to uh, kind of continue with this series on looking ahead and planning for 2019 with Arista Life Science. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Have a great weekend, everyone. Uh, on Monday, we'll talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley and get a Washington update. Certainly a lot going on to talk about with him. Hope you'll join us. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us on AOA.